Hello and welcome to the What The Heck podcast. I'm your host, Glenn. Every week I explore something unexplained, talk about what it is and look at what else it could possibly be. Research is done as academically as possible and references will be given after the stories. This week, I'm looking at the 1962 Escape from Alcatraz. Alcatraz Island is located in the San Francisco Bay in California. Since the time of the US Civil War, the island, known as The Rock, has held prisoners. In 1934, as part of a huge war on crime, the island was fortified into one of the world's most secure prisons. Over the years, the prison has housed people like Al Capone, George Machine Gun Kelly, and even the infamous Birdman of Alcatraz. The island was already an ominous place, being in the bay and surrounded by the waters of the Pacific Ocean. The fortification project had the prison fitted with tougher iron bars, a set of guard towers with strategic positioning, and a new set of strict rules that included a dozen checks a day to make sure the prisoners weren't up to no good. All of these things made it seem like escape was impossible. Between 1934 and 1963, when the prison closed, 36 men tried to escape on 14 separate occasions. For the most part, the inmates were either caught in their escape or they died in their attempts. One night in 1962, three inmates may have managed to escape. In January 1960, Frank Morris arrived on Alcatraz. He had been convicted for bank robbery burglary and other crimes. He was transferred to Alcatraz to prevent him from attempting another escape from a prison. Later that year, John Anglin was sent to Alcatraz and his brother Clarence was also sent there in early 1961. All three of them knew each other, having met in other prisons. They had adjoining cells and began to make an escape plan. They were helped by a fourth inmate, Alan West. On June 12th, 1962, one of the routine morning checks was anything but a routine. Three of the prisoners were missing. John and Clarence Anglin were missing and Frank Morris was also gone. It wasn't immediately noticed though On the way around during the rounds, one of the guards tried to rouse Frank from his sleep. He pushed on the bed through the bars and Frank's head rolled off the bed, breaking his nose. The guard alerted the others who put the prison on lockdown so they could search for the missing inmates. John, Clarence and Frank had carefully made replica heads out of plaster painted them in a a flesh tone and used real hair to create the dummies that the guards had accidentally knocked out of the beds. The prison immediately called on the FBI for help when they weren't found on the island. 
The FBI sent out for offices nationwide to search for records of the missing prisoners and information on their previous escape attempts. They also went ahead and interviewed the relatives of the men and asked boat operators in the San Francisco Bay to look for any kind of debris. Within two days, a packet of letters sealed in, a rub in rubber had been found and related to the men. Later on, pieces of wood and parts of inner tubes were found in the water and were believed to be part of an escape vessel. A wooden paddle was found on Angel Island and a homemade life jacket was found on Cronkite Beach. But those items were the only things found in those areas. Whilst the FBI was looking outside of the prison, the guards were searching the cells of John, Clarence and Frank. They discovered that the grills in the back walls had been removed and the gaps, which had originally been 8 inches or 20 centimetres thick, had been enlarged somehow. They found damaged spoons in the cells and believed that these had been used to enlarge the gaps. The escapees had made fake grills in the same fashion as their dummy heads to keep suspicion off of them. Before I get into the plan, let's look at the three men who actually escaped. Frank Morris was the ringleader of the plan. He had been abandoned by his parents at the age of 11 and by 13 he'd already gotten his first criminal conviction. As a teenager, he found himself in and out of correctional facilities with multiple charges of armed robbery and drug offences. When he was sent to Alcatraz, he was serving a 10-year sentence for bank robbery. John and Clarence Anglin had come from a family of seasonal agriculture workers. Their family travelled up and down the country looking for work picking fruit and vegetables. Because that life yielded little money, the brothers turned to a life of crime from an early age. They were first caught for breaking and entering at the age of 14. After that small brush with the law, they decided to step up their game, becoming bank robbers. They had been sentenced to 35 years after being convicted for robbing the Columbia Savings Bank in Columbia, Alabama. They were sent to Atlanta Penitentiary, but after multiple escape attempts, they were transferred to Alcatraz. The fourth member of the escape team, Alan West, didn't make it out of Alcatraz on the night of the escape. He had been arrested over 20 times before he was finally convicted of a car theft in 1955. Alan went to Atlanta Penitentiary and was transferred to Florida State Prison. Alan made an unsuccessful escape attempt, which caused him to be transferred to Alcatraz in 1957. All four had known each other well and began to plan. Six months later, they executed the plan. That the others had escaped and he might be found out, Alan began to work with the guards. The FBI, the Coast Guard, the Bureau of Prison Authorities and other organisations began to piece together the plan with Alan's help. 
The planning had begun with one of the men finding some old saw blades. From there, they had used crude tools to remove the original air vents. They had created a drill using the motor of a broken vacuum cleaner and drilled holes around the cover so that they could remove the whole section of the wall. When it was removed, they covered it over with whatever was available. Behind the wall was a utility corridor. It was unguarded. Once the holes were big enough, they would enter the corridor and climb on the roof of the cell block where they had set up a secret workshop. They would take turns to watch for the guards in the evening using a crude periscope so that they could return to their beds for the last count of the night. Using a variety of stolen and donated materials, the men built and hid what they needed in order to escape. It took more than 50 raincoats that had been stolen or gathered from across the prison to make the life preservers and a rubber raft. The seams had to be stitched carefully and Alan said that they had vulcanised them using the hot steam pipes in the prison, melting the rubber together. They then used pieces of wood and converted a musical instrument into a tool so that they could inflate the raft. While they were creating the means of escape, they had to find a route to escape from. From the workshop, there was a network of pipes that they climbed up to discover the ventilator at the top. They pried it open and found the roof. When asked about how they managed to get away with all of that noise, Alan said that Morris would initially play his accordion during the hour set aside in the prison for music to be played through speakers in an attempt to calm the inmates down. After they had drilled through the wall, they didn't need that anymore and made the plaster heads to make it look like they were sleeping. Alan then said they were ready to go on the night of June 11th. He revealed that he couldn't escape because he'd tried to reinforce the concrete around the vent hole with some cement that he'd mixed, but found that it had dried and he was unable to escape. He revealed that he had managed to get out of the cell to try and catch up with the others, but by the time he got there, they were gone. Frank and the Anglin brothers managed to get out of their cells and into the workshop. They collected their gear and shimmied up the pipes to the ventilator. Pushing that through, they escaped onto the roof. Guards outside that night had said that they heard a sound at some point, but had chosen not to investigate it. It's believed that the sound was the ventilator cover being pushed out. Had the guards investigated the noise, they may have discovered the escapees and foiled the plan but they didn't investigate for some reason. Instead, Frank and the Anglins used the smokestack from the prison bakery to get down to the ground. Once they were there, they climbed over two 12-foot fences that had been capped with barbed wire, then ran to the northeast of the island so that they couldn't be seen by the spotlights. They used their stolen concertina to inflate the raft and likely pushed off the island at around 10pm, aiming for Angel Island. Based on the plan given to the authorities by Alan, 
The FBI concluded that it was most likely that the prisoners had drowned in their escape. They officially closed the case on December 31st, 1979. From there, they turned the responsibility over to the US Marshal's Office, who have kept the investigation open in the case that Frank and the Anglin brothers did survive. That's not the end though. Lots of things have happened since 1962 that are potentially connected to the escape. The day after the escape, a local police officer claimed to have seen a boat near Alcatraz, stating that it had turned and headed under the Golden Gate Bridge. The FBI looked into it, but dismissed the claim. Still in 1962, a man named Bud White came forward, claiming to be a cousin of Frank Morris. He said that he'd been employed by Frank to bribe the guards so that Frank could escape more easily. He claimed to have met Frank and the Anglin brothers in San Diego several days after the escape. Bud's daughter backed her father up by stating that she had been at the meeting, but there was no evidence to back it up. As early as Christmas in 1962, members of the Anglin family claimed to have received cards from John and Clarence. Their mother also received an anonymous bunch of flowers every year until her death in 1973. And even then, there were reports of two unusually tall men wearing makeup at her funeral. Family members believed that it was John and Clarence in disguise. In 1989, Robert Anglin, the brother of John and Clarence, said that two men showed up to view the body of his father at his funeral. He said that they stayed for a while, wept, and then left again. In the same year, two women contacted the show Unsolved Mysteries, saying that they had seen Clarence and Frank Morris on a farm near Mariana, Florida. When the claim was investigated, no traces of them could be found. New evidence came to light in 1993. Thomas Kent, a former inmate, told America's Most Wanted that he had helped to plan the escape, but couldn't swim and declined the offer to go. He said that the girlfriend of one of the Anglin brothers picked them up and drove them all down to Mexico. The TV network had paid Thomas for his confession, so it was met with scepticism. In the same year, another man, John Leroy Kelly, claimed to have picked up the prisoners in a boat. He said that he had killed them so he could keep the $40,000 that he was meant to give them from their families. John actually confessed this on his deathbed, even giving a location where the bodies had been buried. The area was searched and nothing was found. History spoke to the Anglin family in 2015 and asked them about the escape. They told the story of Fred Bridsey, who had been friends with John and Clarence since they were children. Fred had visited Brazil in 1975 and came back telling stories of seeing the brothers while he was there. They produced photographs that were meant to be the Anglin brothers, but both wore sunglasses and the pictures were of poor quality. 
That meant that the photos couldn't be identified as John and Clarence. In 2018, the FBI said that they'd received a letter signed by John Anglin. In this letter, he revealed that Frank and Clarence had died during or just after the escape. John said that he would hand himself in for an exchange of medical treatment. The FBI never managed to confirm the letter's authenticity and they never received a second letter. The US Marshal Service is in control of the current investigation and have said that they'll keep the investigation open until 2030 when all three men will be over the age of 100. Three inmates escaped from Alcatraz in 1962, and nobody knows what happened to them on that night. However, there are three main theories to this story. The first theory, as suggested by the FBI, is that the men died during the escape. There's not much to it, really. It was a rainy night, and the bay was likely choppy at best. With a makeshift boat, it's unlikely that they would have survived. But that doesn't really explain why so many people claim to have seen them, nor does it explain the amount of people who claim to have picked them up. Maybe they did survive it. The second theory is that the men survived the escape, only to die or be murdered when they reached the land. One of the only things we have to suggest this are the claims given by John Leroy Kelly, who claimed to have killed the men when they were picked up by him, just so that he could keep the $40,000 he was meant to give them. He confessed this on his deathbed, and the area he had said that they were buried in had been searched, but there were no bodies there. The other thing we have to suggest is, is the letter that the FBI claims to have received from John Anglin. He had said that Frank and Clarence died during or just after the escape. That was never followed up though, so it's impossible to say whether that claim is even true. The third and final theory today is that all three men survived and escaped the US for South America. The 2015 reveal of the 1975 photo of the two men in Brazil is key here. It was believed that the photo shows John and Clarence Anglin, but the photo was grainy and it couldn't be figured out. The Irish agency Rothko and AI specialists at IDENTV worked together to create something called the Long Shot. This used a facial matching system that was based on a neural network, which is a type of machine learning algorithm. The system is founded on a process where the algorithm is given multiple images of a single person's face, mingled in with pictures of other faces. The process is repeated multiple times and mathematical models get optimised so the algorithm learns to differentiate one person's face from another person's. Once the model was trained, a mathematical fingerprint 
can be made to describe the facial fingerprint of the person or persons being looked for. This fingerprint is very specific, allowing a comparison with other fingerprints from a database until the algorithm comes up with a match. It's said to be similar to the way that a police fingerprint scanner works. In 2020, the long shot confirmed that the Brazil photo was actually the Anglin brothers. But what about Frank? Did he survive the escape and then leave the Anglin brothers? Or did something else happen? It seems I've looked at this story a little bit late. Most of the mystery has been solved. Two of the three escapees have been accounted for. But what could have happened to the ringleader of it all? Could he have survived and gone elsewhere? Or did he not make the journey? We'll probably never find out. The story from this episode came from the FBI article called Alcatraz Escape, a history article called The Story Behind the Alcatraz Escape, History's Most Daring Prison Break, and a Britannica article called Alcatraz Escape of June 1962. Theories from this episode came from the FBI article and a Campaign US article called Alcatraz escape mystery may have just been solved with facial recognition tech. References for the episode and links to studies will be posted on social media for you to have a look at. Speaking of social media, links to those and other ways to listen are in the episode description under my link tree. You can currently find me on Facebook and Instagram. Patreon is getting an upload of one of the transcripts each week as part of the £3 tier. The link to the Patreon is also on the link tree and, as before, you're welcome to pledge more than £3 a month and I'll find something extra special for the people that do. I do have an email set up on the link tree, but it doesn't open a new email so that's in the description of the episode too. Send me your spooky stories, unexplained events and anything else you want me to read out. Or, if you have any corrections or issues with things that I've said, let me know and I'll address them as soon as I see the email. Next week's episode comes out on September 21st, so hold on until then. (laughs) 